Well, it has been a few weeks since we had an installment on our Genesis sermon series, and I do apologize for that. I have not been uh, recording the sermons uh, at Mindy's over the past few weeks. We are going to get back to that this coming up Sunday, so I wanted to take a few moments to kind of catch up here on the podcast. Um, I'm not going to re-preach all these sermons. That would be like a five-hour long podcast, and I don't want anybody to have to endure through that. But what I want to do is give a overview of the biggest points or the main points that we have hit uh, at Mindy's over the past few weeks. Uh, if you're local, uh, if you're in Glenville or the surrounding areas, uh, please feel free to come worship with us any Sunday morning. The main service starts at 11. We do have Sunday school at 10, but the main service starts at 11. Anyone is welcome uh, to join us, uh, to worship with us, uh, to come and study the Word of God uh, alongside of us there at Mindy's Baptist. And so uh, please do come and join us. Uh, if you've been listening to the sermon series from from anywhere, wherever you're listening from, we appreciate that. I appreciate that. I pray that it's been a blessing to you and an encouragement. Um, again, I do apologize for not uh, recording the sermons uh, over the past few weeks. So I'm going to do my best again, just to hit the main points and, and the biggest um, the biggest truths uh, that we've that we've been attempting to kind of uh, pull out of the scriptures and really cement in our minds. And so with the last couple of sermons that were posted, we got all the way up through the fall and some of the significances, significances, mm, that might not be a word, some of the significant things that are there in uh, Genesis 3 pertaining to the fall. And we looked at Romans 5 and how Adam is a type of Christ. And we looked at Ephesians 1 and how all of all, all things, including the fall, were ultimately a part of God's plan to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, because if there was no fall, there would be no need of Christ. Uh, if we were not in sin, we would not need a savior. And so we discussed um, things such as that, but that led us up to chapter four. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, if you grew up in a Christian household or just grew up around church, we, uh, I'm sure that we're all familiar with uh, with Cain and Abel, and that's where we pick it up in Genesis four. And so briefly, um, of course, we know that Cain and Abel uh, gave offerings uh, to God and Abel's sacrifice or Abel's offering was accepted by God um, and Cain's was not. And that's really just with that, uh, just the beginning of that story, the crux of that story, which ultimately results in Cain uh, rising up against his brother and murdering him. But, but that, that is the great weight and great significance of it. The fact that Cain's offering was not uh, pleasing to God, was not accepted by God, but then Cain's reaction to that, Cain's uh, response to that, um, you know, God, God said, Cain, you know, why are you, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And we never see, uh, at, at any juncture of this narrative, you never see Cain, uh, going to God and repenting, um, of, 
uh, of anything. Uh, we, you don't see Cain saying, you know, and just speaking in very plain terms, you don't see Cain asking God, well, if that was not acceptable, what must I do to be acceptable in your sight? What, what offering is pleasing to you? There was no effort to submit to God's authority or submit to um, God's standard of what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. You just see anger. You see frustration. Uh, you see bitterness. You even see a bit of um, what what I would consider almost almost sarcasm. You know, when, when God asked Cain, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? It's almost this just certainly unrepentant, but uncaring, calloused, uh, sarcastic response. Oh, you expect me to know where he is? Am I my brother's keeper? And so we see that, and then then Cain is cursed, and even in even in that, when Cain is rejected, and um, when when God tells him his punishment that he's going to be a wanderer, a, a traveler, um, and he's um, the the earth will no longer uh, yield fruit or yield a harvest to him. You don't you don't see Cain repenting. You don't see Cain crying out and saying, God, forgive me. You just, what we see is Cain saying, oh, this is too much. Don't punish me this severely. And in a bit of irony, you see Cain worried and fearful that somebody's going to take his life. So Cain had no issue taking his brother's life. But when God punishes him, he says, oh, this is too much. Somebody's going to take my life. Um, and so you see the irony. Uh, you see some some hypocrisy from Cain on that. No problem killing somebody else, but it's too much now because I feel like somebody's going to kill me. Uh, and you actually see God preserve Cain's life, that if anybody uh, harms Cain or takes his life, that God will uh, take vengeance or there will be vengeance sevenfold. Um, but then we have this, this lineage of Cain. We see that he establishes, uh, a city and he names the city after his son Enoch. Um, and then we see this lineage, which we get to this person of Lamech and Lamech takes two wives. But the, the thing we really focused on with Lamech is that the sins of Cain, the, the anger, the pride, the, um, the, the arrogance in taking his brother's life into his own hands and, and literally taking that life. Um, but then with Cain, God is the one who said, anyone who harms Cain, you know, it will be avenged sevenfold. But Lamech, he takes someone's life and then he brags and he says, wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And you just see the, uh, the sins of Cain, um, the, the anger, the bitterness, the pride, the arrogance. Um, you see that intensified and amplified with the person of Lamech. We, we, we saw that a bit. Whereas, uh, you know, Cain did say, oh, the punishment is too much. And, and then God gave a decree that um, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. But then with Lamech, he's, 
He's boasting of his murder. He's bragging of the murder. And then he's self-proclaiming. Well, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's is set. So he's literally putting himself in the place of God. Lamech is the one decreeing, if anyone harms me, it's going to be 77-fold. And so we see this line of Cain after Cain is told that he's going to be you know, a nomad, basically a fugitive, a wanderer on the earth. Um, then we see the lineage and that culminates in this person of Lamech and you see that it just, the sin has been intensified and it just progresses. And so we talked about how that's really, Cain's line is a godless line, um, an ungodly line. Um, but then we see that Adam knew his wife again and bore a son called Seth. And then we have this whole separate lineage in chapter 5. And that lineage culminates in the person of Noah. And we know that Noah found grace or found favor uh, in the eyes of the Lord at a time where God looked upon the earth and everything was wicked. And, and it, it literally, it pained God that he had even made man. And so God decided to to judge the earth. But Noah and his family found favor or found grace in his sight. And so we have this godless line, ungodly line of Cain culminating in Lamech. Then we also have the godly line of Seth that culminates in Noah. And we talked um, in the sermon series, we, we talked briefly about the fact that this is not going to be the only time where we see God actually purposefully, intentionally preserving a person that's going to lead to a lineage of just un ungodliness, ungodly cities, ungodly nations. Um, we're, we're going to see later on in Genesis that, uh, again, this is not going to be the only time. We're going to see this repeated um, throughout Genesis and, and other portions of, of Scripture in the Old Testament. Um, that, that won't be anytime soon at Mindy's because uh, uh, it takes me forever to get through a book of Scripture, and we do take our time when we study. But at some point in the years to come, we'll get to other books in the Old Testament as well. But you see God intentionally preserving ungodly lines as well, and that's important. Um, and that's something that you know, we encourage everyone to just kind of keep that in their mind, hold on to that. It will come up later. And so I'll encourage you to do the same. Just keep in mind that there's, there's purpose and there's intention with God, even with these ungodly lines, even with these lineages that we would say, well, what, what good thing ever came out of these lineages, out of these people groups that were just you know, it almost seems like they were cursed from the beginning. You know, Cain was cursed and then he was able to uh, to reproduce and we have this ungodly lineage. Uh, why would God do that? So just hold on to that and hold on to that question. Why would God do that? Why would God preserve uh, lineages, heritages that are eventually going to become the enemies of his people? and going to start wars with his people and going to be against his people, what would be that purpose? And so then, of course, the flip side of that is we see God graciously, mercifully providing and upholding godly lines. And we, we looked briefly 
um, at the fact that in Genesis 3, when he was um, cursing the serpent, he said, you know, there will be enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman, and you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head or crush your head. And in what we are about to discuss with the flood, Noah and the flood, um, you know, could God have just wiped out all of humanity and just literally restarted? Well, yeah, he's God. I mean, you could always say, well, God could do whatever he wanted to. He's God. But when you look at it, you've got to think about what he told the serpent. There'll be enmity between your seed and her seed, speaking specifically of Eve, but the seed of the woman. And Noah came from the line of Seth, which came from Eve. And so in preserving Noah and his family, God is preserving that very line that he told the serpent, listen, there's, there's going to be enmity, but her seed, the seed of the woman, is going to end up crushing your head. And so God is keeping his word. God is uh, following through on what he has said. He's preserving that line that will eventually lead to Messiah that crushes the head of the serpent. And so we, we talked about the significance of that, that God always keeps his word. And even in his judgment, um, especially throughout the Old Testament, even, even in his judgment, he preserves that remnant or he always preserves that line, that lineage that will lead to ultimately the Messiah who was actually prophesied or spoken of in Genesis, in the beginning. And so... Um, you know, just to shed some light on that, we have talked repeatedly throughout this Genesis study that there are glimpses of the gospel. There are glimpses of Jesus Christ, even here in the first few chapters of Genesis. And that's so very important because we oftentimes forget that, oh, Jesus is throughout all of scripture. Jesus doesn't just appear in the New Testament. Like Jesus is prophesied over and over again uh, in the Old Testament. But from the beginning, this has always been the will of God. Um, in one of the sermons, we looked at Ephesians 1, where, where Paul says that it is God's plan to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And that has been his plan since before the foundation of the world. We can't stress that enough. Before the foundation of the world, we were, we, God's people, we were chosen in Christ. And then there's this beautiful uh, explanation of, of salvation, predestination, election, how God has chosen us for his own possession. And ultimately, it is to bring about God's purpose. He works all things according to the purpose of his will. And that purpose is to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And so um, we discussed that and that brings us to Noah and his family. Now with with the flood in particular, what what I've really been trying to hammer in with this is that we have a glimpse here of the severity of God's judgment when he does pour out his wrath upon a wicked mankind. While at the very same time that we're seeing his severity, we are also seeing the beauty of his grace and his mercy and the fact that he preserved and saved anyone at all. And yes, we're told that Noah found grace or favor in, in, in the eyes of the Lord. We're, we're told that Noah was, was upright, that he was a righteous man, that he was later in the New Testament, you know, he was a preacher of the truth. Um, 
nevertheless, we we know what what happens when Noah gets off the ark. Um, he drinks of the fruit of the vine and he partakes a little too heavily, uh, and he is uh, he he goes as far as to partake in drunkenness, right? And so we see his sin. We see that he he still is just a man. Um, he doesn't have superpowers. He's not sinless. He's not perfect. He is man. He is sinful. Yet God uses him and his family to uh, preserve life. Um, but with that being said, he uses Noah and his family as a, uh, to preserve life, but um, he uses the ark. And so we see all of this as a shadow or a, um, a foreshadowing uh, of uh, what is to come of, of salvation, really. there's God's wrath is, is coming. God's wrath is going to be poured out upon all creation. Uh, when the Lord returns, he, he will return as a judge. And the only people who are gonna be spared the wrath of God and going to be uh, saved and preserved and redeemed from the wrath of God are those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, those who are um, those who are the believing ones, those who are called according to his purpose, but ultimately using this figure of the ark, um, the ark is Christ. Those who are in Christ Jesus will be spared. Um, they will not taste uh, and be consumed by the wrath of a holy God. And so in this, we see God's hatred and his wrath against sin, but we also see his mercy and his grace in salvation that, that even as he takes life and he brings death uh, to mankind as a punishment for their sin, he's able to preserve life and um, to save those that are the recipients of his grace, those that have found grace in his sight. And so we've really been stressing that point and um also that in the meantime you know it, noah didn't build noah and his sons didn't build the ark in a day uh, and as they were building the ark um we're very sure that they caught a lot of flack from the people that were watching them build the ark and mocking them and um, i'm sure they didn't have too many nice things to say about noah but uh but at the end of the day Noah and his sons persevered. They made the ark. They were obedient to God, regardless of what the world around them said. Um, and that culminated in them being in the ark and, and, and being the recipients of grace and, and, and preserving life. And so last Sunday, um, we looked at Second Peter, where he says plainly that, you know, the judgment of the Lord is coming, but we should count the patience and the long suffering of God as salvation. Um, but since we know that these things are going to come to pass, his judgment, the day of the Lord is coming, it will be here. And since we know that it will be here, um, what manner of life ought we to be living? Um, how should we live our lives in matters of godliness and holiness? Um, and so we, we look at Noah and the fact that he was obedient to everything that God uh, requested of him and, and God instructed him to do. Noah was obedient. And so we can ask ourselves simply, you know, are, are we being obedient to all that God has instructed us to do? In the time 
in the time between where we found out and God brought us to a knowledge of who he is and that he is truly the God of all creation, the one true God of all creation, and uh, that he brought us to that that place of, of faith and reconciliation. And then we came to the understanding that, oh, the Lord the Lord is going to return not only as Christ my Savior, as Christ redeemed me, but Christ is going to return and there's 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 wrath that's going to be poured out upon creation. From from that time until now, because the Lord hasn't returned yet, so in the meantime, have we found ourselves being obedient to all that God has instructed? Have we found ourselves persevering in uh, in uh, in service for the Lord? And and do we have a zeal to uh, to be obedient and to to build and to to strive to to serve uh, and to be productive for the kingdom in a way that's probably a poor way of putting it but i'm gonna go with it because it's already out there and i don't feel like making too many edits to this episode um but are we striving to to build upon that which has been given to us uh are we building on the foundation and are we striving to uh to honor god and to please him in all that we say and do are we living our lives as, as living sacrifices uh, or are we wasting a lot of time? Are we being disobedient? Are we being negligent? Are we being apathetic? Um, but we see plainly that Noah and his sons, obviously they got the ark built, <laughs> the animals were there. Um, and uh, we also looked that God is the one who shut them in. So uh, that's what we talked about last Sunday, that in all of this, God is sovereign. I mentioned that... that um, God's sovereignty in, in my mind, and you don't have to agree with this, but in my mind, God's sovereignty probably is at the very least one of the most misunderstood attributes of God. Um, you'll hear people say, well, God's in control, God's in control, but then in a, in a practical sense, we don't live our lives as if God is in control. And we, because of that, we are we probably are more fearful or more anxious or more stressed out about stuff than we really need to be because we don't fully comprehend what sovereignty means and that ultimately everything that could ever happen in our life, good or bad, um, and I know how people want to debate that and they'll try to make an emotional plea towards that. And I know that even with some real life experiences, people say, I just have a hard time believing that God had a plan in such and such happening to me or to somebody that I care about. I, I do, I understand to an extent, because I haven't had to experience everything that other people have had to experience, but I understand how, as a human being, we could make an emotional argument and an emotional plea uh, to to say, you know, I just can't bring myself to really believe that God would almost, we, we would say that God would want such and such to happen in my life or, or so on and so forth. But it's always important to bring ourselves back to what does Scripture actually teach? Does Scripture teach us that God is sovereign over all things, including um, the, the wicked or evil acts of men? Does God still reign sovereignly over the wicked decisions and the wicked actions of men and are they also a part of God's overarching theme of redemption? And the answer is yes. Scripture teaches that. Um, 
chiefly, just to give one example that is, it's really the only example that needs to be given, um, the life of Jesus Christ, the Son. Was it God's will for His own Son to be mocked, ridiculed, rejected, tortured, beaten, hung on a cross? And the answer is yes. All of that, everything that took place was God's intention. It was God's will to crush the Son. Acts 2, verses 22 through 24. Um, because with that being said, some people will try to make the argument, well, if God, if it's God's will for everything to happen, then how are the wicked men ultimately, how are they responsible for it? Because God wanted that stuff to happen. So don't they almost have like a way out? Like, oh, well, God can't punish them because they were just doing what he ordained that they would do anyway. So, and some people are arrogant and foolish enough to actually make the argument, well, shouldn't God be punishing himself because he's the one who actually wanted something bad to happen? And, and again, we just simply have to go back to scripture and say, what does scripture teach? Acts 2, 22 through 24, um, Peter says plainly that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But then he says, you, speaking to the Jewish people, he says, you delivered this man up to be uh, killed at the hands of lawless men. And uh, that wasn't a direct quotation, but I have the scripture right here. So let me fix that and let me give the direct quotation. Um, he says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So, you know, I guess in some ways to the natural mind, that seems like a contradiction. You say, well, what, delivered up according to the definite plan of foreknowledge of God. So that's the reason he was crucified. But then Peter turns right around. And he says, you, meaning the men, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So where it, to some people, it may seem like a, like a contradiction, but I think just those couple of verses plainly teach that God is ultimately sovereign over all things, but man is also fully responsible for the evil actions uh, and deeds that he commits. And there is no contradiction. Uh, any contradiction that may seem to be there is just us not uh, not being able to fully comprehend um, God's sovereignty and the truth that his sovereignty doesn't negate or interfere with our responsibility for our actions, but that God's sovereignty and the, the choices and the will of man is a another topic or for another episode or installment of the podcast. But nevertheless, to, to bring this all back, we talked about how God is in full control of all of this when it pertaining to Noah and the ark and the flood. Um, it is God who brought the flood. We we're told that the fountains of the deep opened up, the, the, the windows of heaven opened up, and the waters prevailed on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, well you know, who does the, uh, who do the fountains of the deep answer to? 
Who do the windows of heaven answer to? Who does the rain and the wind and the storms, who do they answer to? They answer to God. He has full reign and full control and, and full authority over all of creation because he is the one who brought all of creation into existence. Um, uh, who has full authority over the animal kingdom? God does. Who has full authority over man? God does. And at that point, we sometimes, we might find ourselves kind of twitching and gritting our teeth a little bit, but God has full authority over man. Uh, scripture teaches that, that uh, God does as he pleases with the inhabitants of earth and the inhabitants of heaven, or with the inhabitants of earth, sorry. I think I said heaven twice. <laughs> with the inhabitants of heaven and the inhabitants of earth. Um, we're told that he has, you know, vessels of mercy and vessels of wrath or vessels of destruction. Um, you know, we are told in scripture plainly that, that he, uh, he orchestrates all things together according to his will. Uh, he brings all things that he desires to come to pass. Um, and so, yes, God has full authority and full reign over man to the extent that when God decides to bring death and wipe out all of mankind to blot out all flesh from the face of the earth, as, as Genesis says, he has the authority to do that. And nobody can stop him from doing it. While at the very same time, at the very same time, he is also preserving life through Noah and his sons and their wives. God is able to do that simultaneously because he has the authority even over life and death. He can bring death through his judgment and through the pouring out of his wrath while simultaneously preserving life through his grace and through his mercy. And he is just and he is holy in all that he does. And those are, those are the two really big points that um, really the past couple of Sundays um, we've, we've, we've pointed to that. And then we also really tried to hit home the fact that all flesh was guilty. All flesh was wicked and, and God wiped out all flesh from the face of the earth, except for knowing his sons and where the temptation may be to say, oh, wow, that was so severe. Or that was, you know, could it be that that might've been too severe? You know, was it really everybody on earth? Uh, and the answer biblically speaking is yes and i know our emotions might want to get involved and we might we might, we might want to say well what if there was just like one or two other people on earth that were really trying to do what was right or whatever we can't go any further than what scripture has given us and what god gives us in his word is that all flesh was blotted out wickedness wickedness was rampant upon the earth that the thoughts from our youth are evil and God decided to judge the earth. And in a, in a world that we live in today, where the truth that we are all sinful people, we're all like, I know that there may be some of you listening that when I say this, you might, uh, you might be like, did he really just say that? But like, we're bad people. We are sinful, bad people. Um, where none of us are good. Uh, but we live in a world where it's really, really promoted like you are a good person and you are capable of making the world good. That if everybody would just be as good as they could possibly be, 
we would have a really good world to live in. And while that might seem positive on a very shallow surface level, for the Christian who is thinking biblically, we, we ought to immediately say, whoa, 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 there's something very wrong with that. Scripture teaches us we live on a sin-cursed earth, a sin-cursed world, that we are born into sin. We're not good. There's none good. There's none righteous. There's none that seeks God. And that this world is going to melt away with fervent heat when the Lord returns and there's judgment that's poured out. We can't redeem this world. We can't make this world good. Furthermore, to really, you know, using Genesis, when God stepped back from his creation, so to speak, when he stepped back from his creation, he said, it's good. So God's, God's use of the word good means perfect, fully pleasing in his sight. It is good. Uh, that's not how we use the word good today. We just, good means something positive, something that, you know, well, we can accept that. That's, that's good. That's acceptable. Um, but we can never make this world good in the sense that it would be acceptable in the eyes of God. We can't make ourselves good, meaning that we were acceptable in the eyes of God in and of ourselves. We are sinful people. God hates sin. We need a redeemer. We need a mediator between us and God. And Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. Jesus is our only hope of redemption, our only hope of salvation. It is through him alone that we can be made right with the Father. And so, um, so yes, we did. We've talked about all these things, even just from the first six or seven chapters from Genesis, because they are all connected. It is all uh, applicable. What do we see in uh, the narrative of Noah and the ark? We see God's hatred of sin, his judgment of sin. We see at the very same time, we see his his grace and his mercy and his preservation of life. But not only that, he, he preserved the created order. You know, all of the animals, two by two, they went onto the ark. And, and after the flood, uh, the earth was populated again. And, and the animals were, were able to, to reproduce and procreate um, after the flood as well. And so there was this, in a way, you could say it was kind of like a restart or a fresh start, but God preserved all of that by telling Noah, you're going to take these animals onto the ark. You're, you're going to bring male and female onto the ark. And so that you know, after the flood, uh, the stage was already set to uh, replenish the earth and for that created order to remain intact. Uh, God told man, uh, be fruitful and multiply. God made it to where all things reproduced after their own kinds. And as you read through Genesis 6 and 7, you, you see where Noah's literally told, bring all of the, uh, the livestock, each by their own kind, all of the creeping things according to their own kind, the birds of the air according to their kind, according to their kind. You see God preserving the created order. And so again, back to this point that even through the complete destruction of the creation and bl the blotting out of all things that had the breath of life in their nostrils, and and the preservation of life throughout each and every last detail, God was in sovereign control of everything. He truly was working all things according to the purpose of his will. There was not one moment within that entire catastrophic flood narrative where God was not reigning 
sovereignly over everything that was taking place. And that is something that we as believers can take great comfort in to know that it is true. It is true that nothing can befall us. Nothing can come into our lives that God has not ordained, that he is not reigning over. So that once we get to Romans 8 in our Bible study and we see, oh, he promises that all things work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Well, we can actually believe that and we can actually rest in that because he really is reigning over all things. He, he has ordained all things whatsoever come to pass. Therefore, when he says, I'll work it together for the good of my people, he actually has the authority to do that. He has the authority over all things to mold it, shape it, work it together for the good of his people and for his own glory. And so that is something that we can take great, great comfort in and rest in. And then lastly, uh, but also kind of for a second time, uh, and I do want to clarify, we're, we're not allegorizing Noah and the flood. We're not turning it into just some analogy for salvation. Noah and the flood was a real event that actually happened. However, we do know in scripture, we're told, you know, all of the Old Testament is pertaining to Christ anyway. <laughs> and everything that happens in the Old Testament in some way, shape or form is a shadow of things to come. The flood is a shadow or a glimpse at the ultimate judgment where all of creation, again, is melted away with fervent heat and then there's gonna be a new heavens and a new earth. The only ones that survive that final judgment, the only way that are, the only ones that are protected and preserved through that judgment are the ones that are in Christ. Um, and God has called, chosen a people to be in Christ before the foundation of the earth and those are the ones that will be redeemed, saved, and glorified and welcomed into eternity in the new heavens and the new earth to reign with him forever. And it is only those people. So what about those people that were outside of the ark? Well, they were consumed in the wrath of God. So what about those people who are outside of Christ, who are not in Christ, who are not saved? Well, they will be consumed in the wrath of God and they will be separated from God in a sinner's hell for eternity. And that is not too severe of a judgment. That is not overkill, if you will. That is what each and every one of us in our natural state, that's what we deserve. We deserve death and judgment from God. To take this again back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve fell in sin in the garden, what they deserved was wrath and judgment from God. He told them the day you eat of the tree, you'll surely die. But they didn't die physically. What did they receive instead? They received coverings that God himself fashioned for them. And he, he covered their, their sin and their shame with the sacrifice of another. There again, a picture of the gospel, a glimpse of the gospel, a foreshadowing of Christ. And so um, that, that pretty well tidies up or connects where the last sermon was to where we're at now. Um, we've, at Mendy's Baptist, we've looked at the godless lineage of Cain and the godly lineage of, of Seth and how that leads to Noah and all of the, all of the ties to the gospel and, and salvation and, and all of the, the, the displays of 
God's power and authority over all things, over his creation, that he has full reign, full authority to do as he pleases in heaven and on earth, um, and that he can pour out his wrath and judgment while at the very same time preserving life and granting life uh, and being gracious and merciful. And we've, we've talked about how the sovereignty of God is something that we ought to be able to rest in, uh, that we ought to be able to take great great comfort in because we know that uh, God is working it all together for good and there's no detail of our life that uh, that he is not over, that he is not ordained. Or Psalm 139 says that our days were written in his book before we ever lived any of them. And so we can take comfort in that even on the the days where we're weeping because we've, we've suffered heartache or we've suffered loss or we ask ourselves, you know, how, how could this happen? Why why did this happen to me or my loved one, my family member? You know, at the, at the end of the day, yes, we have those human emotions, but at the end of the day, faith brings us to the place where we might not have all the answers to all the details, but what we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt is there was a purpose for this. There was meaning behind this suffering, uh, even if it was simply just to test our faith. And in the end, strengthen our faith to grant to us a greater endurance, to grant to us a, a more sure faith, then, then that is good. That is wonderful. That is something that brings glory to God and causes us to be a more mature believer. Um, and so these are the things that we've, that we've kind of brought out. And yes, we did also talk about Noah and his obedience. As God's children, we are called to obedience. We are called to be holy as he is holy. Uh, we ought to be striving for uh, perfection. Are we ever going to attain perfection? No, but we ought to be striving for it. We ought to strive to please him, glorify him, uh, be obedient to him in all things, to literally live our lives as living sacrifices. Uh, being holy as he is holy, seeking to have our, our conduct among the Gentiles, among the non-believers, uh, to be honorable, to be found as obedient children, those who have been set apart, sanctified, a royal priesthood, uh, chosen for his own possession. That's us. And we ought to strive for that, to be obedient in all things uh, and to follow the instructions or the guidelines uh, to, to be obedient to the word which he has given us. So um, we'll wrap it up there. That pretty well sums up everything from, from Genesis 3 to where we're at now in Genesis 7, um, towards the tail end of Genesis 7. Uh, next Sunday, we will be recording again, as long as I remember. Um, that's me picking on myself. I do I honestly just forget sometimes. And um, I really am gonna strive to do better you guys can remind me shoot me a text sometime call me sometimes say hey don't forget to record um you know reach out anytime 912-339-4211 shoot me an email uh proper ministries at gmail.com please do reach out follow us on facebook um on facebook it's proper ministries um make sure to click or follow or subscribe to the podcast whether you're on uh apple Apple Podcasts, here on Podbean, whether you're listening on Spotify or anyway, just subscribe any way that you can. Follow us. If you are if you enjoy the podcast, please do share it with others um, and uh, just keep up with us and we'll be praying for you guys. You'll be praying for us. 
I pray that God will continue to sanctify us and our family uh, through his word. And uh, can, I pray that he would continue to bless Mindy's Baptist Church and, um, and, and the same thing, that he would sanctify us in his word, uh, in the truth, and his word is truth. And we'll be praying the same for you guys, that God will continue to mature us all, strengthen us, and unify us in the faith, all for his glory alone. And we will catch you guys on the next installment of Reformation South.